yesterday, Ben Volon Arkis uh, interviewed Dr. Sean Lang from Anglia Ruskin University, who is doing a talk on the Treaty of Versailles, something often quoted as the cause of World War II. This is to get underway the Festival of Ideas next week, with events covering almost every subject taking place all over Cambridge. Ben started by asking him the reasons behind the talk. We've just been going through 100 years of the First World War. Uh, Obviously, 2014 was the big year with a lot of people marking that and the poppies at the Tower of London, a lot of uh, activities around the country, so a lot of people remember that. And then as you go through the years that followed, uh, 2016, we marked the 100 years since the Battle of the Somme. Uh, 2018, last year, we were marking the 100 years since what we think (laughs) as the end of the war. But it wasn't, because the war actually ended the next year in 1919, so it's 100 years since the end of the the First World War this year, because a war ends when you sign a peace treaty. (laughs) And that was for the the Treaty with Germany was the Treaty of Versailles. So that's what uh, we're, we're talking about in the Festival of Ideas. With the Treaty of Versailles, I think you've just given mm. uh, quite a good introduction to it there. What actually was it? What was the, the Treaty It's itself? an agreement um, between the Allies who had won the war and the country that loses the war. Well, now, I said an agreement, actually. I think the Germans would, would uh, dispute mm. that because they said there wasn't an agreement at all. They were just told to sign it, which is true. They were. Um, but normally at the end of the war, what happens is that you say, well, we've won this, you've won that. Let's sit down. Let's work out, you know, bash out an agreement, you know, uh, or a deal, if you like. Um, <laughs> And you have a a peace treaty and then you move on, you see. Well, what happened at the end of the First World War was significantly different and it had huge consequences because a lot of people say, well, the treaty was really the cause of the Second World War because the treaty was very harsh, uh, much harsher than treaties usually are. They took away a huge amount of territory from Germany. So, in, in other words, if you thought you were German, suddenly you find that you're Polish or French or... Uh, or Czech or whatever. Um, they also imposed things like a huge reduction on Germany's army. And uh, so that, you know, a lot of soldiers had to leave the army, go back into civilian life, and Germany's only allowed 100,000 men. That may sound a lot, but it really mm. isn't for a country the size Not of Germany. Not for a standing army, no. Exactly. I mean, it's about the size of your police force, something <laughs> like that, you see. Um, it's not allowed to have any air force at all. It's navies, very severe limitations on the number of ships that it's allowed to have and the size of them, and uh, and also no submarines and this sort of thing. Um, but above all, the thing which really got the Germans, because, OK, all of that you could say, well, OK, we lost the war, although actually the Germans didn't really accept that they had. But all right, you know, we, lo- we lose the war. Um, so, you know, you, you always have some sort of harshness, but the main thing was that they were going to have to pay for it and what that meant was literally, in terms of money, or if not in money, then in, ter- in terms of sort of paying in kind with the industrial product, what have you. And paying for it meant paying money particularly to places like, you know, countries like France and Germany where the fighting had actually taken place. So that meant paying for the reconstruction of the territory, the, of the land, the buildings and so on. More than that, it meant, you know, suddenly you've got thousands and thousands of families who'd lost, you know, their father or their son or indeed more than that these people get pensions, they get compensation Mm. where should the money come from and the French government and the British government say well why should it come from us we didn't start the war and the Germans are having to put the the bill okay we're going to have to pay this how much do we have to pay and it was left open and said well you just keep paying until we tell you to stop and literally, that's essentially how it was. Um, and uh, and why should we have to pay? And this was written into the treaty. The, re- the, the sort of justification mm. for this is because we're saying, ready for this, you caused the war. And you have to sign and accept that you caused the war. In other words, the whole war was your fault. And historically, you know, you say, well, the cause of the First World War, there were many, many different causes. And uh, there, also, there were Russian causes and French causes and Austrian causes and Serb causes, as well as German and British ones, you know. Uh, no historian 
no A-level student, no GCSE students. Are you listening out there? You know, would actually accept. You know, it was all Germany's fault. You know, it simply wasn't. But the treaty said that it was, mm. and because of that, they'd have to keep paying. I said that they simply they didn't set a sum. They didn't tell you how long. Eventually, of course, you know, they, they do. About ten years later, they said, oh, "All right, you know, work out a schedule of payments." The end date for when Germany would finish paying for the First World War was laid down as 1988. <laughs> Do you know, when I first started teaching about this as a young teacher, you know, straight after my teaching practice, actually doing my teaching practice and I can't think of it, it was 1984. And I was telling the kids, you know, they would still be paying for it now. And they just looked at me boggle-eyed. But I said, yeah, that's what... And actually, even that was a sort of compromise after the treaty was signed. I was going to say as well, you know, it, it has been said that the French, um, especially like prominent um, French politicians, actually saw it as a... Almost too lenient. Yeah, treaty. absolutely. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. Because uh, um, you know there, there were very different points of view. The American president, President Wilson, wanted something much milder. Um, the British public very much wanted. I mean, for the phrase at the time was "hang the Kaiser." They wanted a tough treaty. Mm. Um, when uh, Sir Eric Geddes, who was the MP for Cambridge, was standing for an election in 1918, because there's an election at, at this particular point at the end of the war, and his slogan was, "You know, make Germany pay." And this is a very, very common line that people were, were saying, and you know. And this, you know, the treaty was the way to do it. But that was as nothing compared with France and the French. And that's because not only was the war fought on their territory. Now, when you've seen pictures of the trenches in the First World War and the destruction and what have you, it's bad enough. But it's still in a foreign country. Imagine that, you know, in Cambridgeshire. Imagine mm. that destruction in the, in, in the Fens. Uh, I mean, it, actually, the Fens is a good example because that would have been like Passchendaele in, 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 in Belgium or Flanders, you know, that sort of destruction on your own territory. But it's more than that because this wasn't the first time the Germans had done it. The French um, and older people, like Georges Clemenceau, the French um, Prime Minister who was at, there at the treaty in, in the negotiating, they could remember mm. when they were children the Germans had marched into France once before and indeed um, they had actually succeeded, they defeated the French, the French marched through Paris, marched to Versailles. That's why they had the treaty at Versailles, because the Germans had been there before and had proclaimed their own empire. So from the French point of view, here we go again. Mm. So their thinking was, this time we make sure this can never, ever happen again. And so you do two things and you can do them both at once. You get revenge because you're only human <laughs> and secondly you, you absolutely crush Germany so that even if it wanted to do it again it couldn't. And that's the thinking behind the treaty. Why are you looking at this uh, new pers- uh, perspective now? You know, has there been more information that's recently come about? Well the main reason is because it's the centenary and, uh, and also <laughs> when people are sort of marking 1918 in 2018 and marking the armistice and of course they sort of think it's the end of the wars and historians purists as we are to say oh, actually no it's not that you know and yeah and, and uh, people normally tell you to shut up but something like the treaty of Versailles is always interest um there have been some um you know accounts of the war um both of the first world war and of course of the second world war because it gets gets relevant to that uh, which have sort of discussed this there's a a german writer called jürgen uh, Trugscher, I think it, I didn't quite get his <laughs> name right, um, but he, he, he wrote a book which absolutely denounced the idea that the uh, Treaty of Versailles caused the uh, the first uh, the Second World War. And actually, even at the time and for a long time since, there's been a lot of argument about this. You know, what is the exact relationship between the Treaty of Versailles and the Second World War? I mean, there is a relationship, obviously, um, and because it's one of the things that you know when Hitler took power in Germany, he was you know he was promising to tear this up, and indeed that's pretty much what he started to do. But on the other hand, the Treaty of Versailles didn't create Hitler. Um, and, you know, there, there have been harsh treaties in the past. Now, the big argument was, was it too harsh and therefore caused trouble? 
Or was it that it wasn't harsh enough, or at least that it wasn't enforced, therefore it wasn't enforced harshly enough, and that's caused the trouble. And basically the first line, it was too harsh, was the sort of thing that British um, politicians and historians have tended to say, and Americans as well. Mm. Um, and the idea that actually, no, no, what was wrong is that you, you should have been, it should have been enforced enough, i.e. we should have enforced it to stop Hitler taking over the Rhineland, or to stop Hitler taking over Austria, and this sort of thing. All these things were forbidden by the So it's more of a treaty. question of weak statesmanship. Exactly. And that's very much the French line. And the French, you know, the line was always that uh, if you'd only enforced it properly, you wouldn't have had a Second World War. <laughs> and I think there is a, a good case. It was put to me by one of my old university tutors who is German himself. And yeah. he got an authority on this. He's, um, and uh, yeah. he said, you know, the First World War doesn't end in 1918. And it doesn't actually end in 1919 either. The First World War ends in 1940 with that campaign that Hitler launched to humiliate the French, to take France... He really rubs it in by making the French sign their surrender in the very same place where the Germans had signed the armistice. It's a railway carriage that belonged to Marshal Foch um, and in the same sort of place at Compiègne where they'd, had, they'd done it in 1918. And then in a sense, Hitler was sort of finishing off the business of the First World War by redressing the balance, giving the French just as harsh a treaty as the Germans had had to sign. So it's so. more used uh, politically... Absolutely, yes, yes, exactly. So it's an interesting idea, you know, that the First World War sort of goes on to 1940, and I think there's, you know, it's an idea that holds some water. Yeah. Oh, I, I can talk about this for hours, but <laughs> you, again, you, you're going to be talking about it for about an hour. Oh, indeed, yes, yes, not, <laughs> nice not hours, I promise you that, but, but yeah. And, and with a, lots of chance for people to ask questions and, and raise points themselves, so it's not going to be just me talking at you for an hour, but we're going to invite the audience to sort of consider these different ways of looking at the treaty. Yeah. No, that's fantastic, and that's going to be on the 26th of October. Yes, 26th of October. It's in the, the um, Festival of Ideas. If you look on the Festival of Ideas website, you'll see the details on there. It's being held um, at Anglia Ruskin University in the Lord Ashcroft building, which is uh, sort of at the side of the main campus. But if you go in the main main entrance, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll direct you. And, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it should be a really interesting um, hour of exploring this really important event in our history. So the talk takes place at Anglia Ruskin University on 26th of October at 12.30. Tickets are free and you can get them through www.festivalofideas.cam.ac.uk.